Just uh, mum and dad were getting a bit tired on the farm and a bit sick of it, sort of heading into their late 60s. Um, and we just said, look, we're not doing much up here. Maybe we'll come back to the farm and, and see whether I'm a farmer. G'day and welcome to the Farms Vice podcast with your host, Jack Creswell. Whether you farm it, service it or just love it, this podcast is for you. We'll bring you the techniques and technologies you can implement into your day straight from the leaders and innovators themselves. Spread the farm's advice so that we can reach more farmers right across Australia. Follow us on all of your socials at Farms Advice and let's get into this episode. Welcome to Farms Advice Podcast. Dave Ferguson, great to have you on the podcast and also an exciting topic that I love getting into all the time. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So, David, tell me a little bit about yourself, your connection to Australian agriculture, where you started and how you've sort of lent into this role now, quite new sort of for the industry, but yep. yeah, elaborate for us. No, so look, we, um, I've got a background in property development and in photography and in not doing much until I was about 25 or 6, uh, just enjoying life in, in, in Melbourne town. Um, and we are up uh, in Queensland for a while, uh, for sort of 8, 9, 10 years. Um, I was doing a lot of wedding photography up there. Um, and uh, my wife, who was in sales, sort of uh, up there and, and before that she was sort of a restaurant manager in Hobart. Um, we were sort of dog paddling a little bit up there and, and um, Noose is quite a transient sort of population. So it's sort of fun for a while and then you lose all your mates and you've got to go around and look for some new mates again, which is uh, pretty, pretty poor and a bit embarrassing. Um, so... So we just, uh, mum and dad were getting a bit tired on the farm and a bit sick of it, sort of heading into their late 60s. Um, and we just said, look, we're not doing much up here. Maybe we'll come back to the farm and, and see whether I'm a farmer. Um, so we we decided that was a pretty good idea. Um, we we rented our house up that we had up there in, in, in Sunshine Beach near Noosa and we came back to the farm, back to Gundagai, which was a bit of a culture shock for the wife. Yeah. Um, yeah instead of having uh, my ties at uh, sales by the ocean, she was, uh, you know, having a beer on the veranda. Um, and uh, so then we sort of, uh, we did that for a little while, so 18 months or so to work out whether we, whether we liked where it was going. Um, she started an asset finance business um, through a, a some people we knew in Queensland um, operating. Uh, it's getting loans for tractor parts and things like that. And then the travel kind of got a bit to her. So we, we, we'd had discussions about adding some agritourism on the side of the farm yep. uh, over over the first 18, 18 months or so. But um, then we, uh, we started to do that on the side. So I've been running the farm... Up until about uh, about five months ago, um, I'd been running the farm for sort of nine and a half years, as well as putting together this this other business on the side. So it's been a pretty busy pretty busy decade. So you've had had to actually drag your parents back on 
into the farming operation? Uh, well, they they kind of got uh, they kind of got a second wind um, when when we did a lot of well the the place had been run the same forever and the the breath of fresh air that I provided um, basically I didn't do anything that they hadn't thought of doing themselves and just hadn't done. Um, so we, we did a lot of fencing projects. We did a lot of, a lot of efficiency gains through, through tracks and, and laneways and, uh, upgrading of yards and sheds and things like that. Um, we, we started a self-replacing, uh, fat lamb flock, uh, of, of composites, um, because, lamb prices were, were heading up and and with them the ewe prices were heading up and and we had a very old uh very old flock so we we had to make a decision of, of how we were going to replace the animals um because they were obviously they were winding down before we got there so the stock numbers were dropping the age profile was getting getting older and older um so we 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 put in a self-replacing uh, uh that, was, that was our plan anyway between dad and I to to sort of combat having to restock 200 at the time only 230 dollar ewes um but that was prohibitive so you know if we're putting in trying to put a thousand or 1500 into the mix each year uh you know you're getting up into the hundreds of thousands to to get these animals so uh, that was a that was a good project, and it's it's sort of starting to it takes a while to work through the the pipeline as well. So it's it's only really just getting going in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, we we had two thousand new lambs last year. We had another thirteen hundred this year. Um, so now the age profile is really quite young. Uh, we can start culling a bit harder on performance and and type and and really start to tidy up the the, the animal um, program. Beautiful. Let's go back a little bit into your decision to come back to the family farm. Did you give yourself a certain period of time that you're like, well, two, three years, if this isn't for us, um, I'm just going to cut my losses and go back? Uh, yeah, well, that was always an option. Um, look, financially, we didn't, you know, we weren't, we weren't flying. We were, we were covering ourselves, but we weren't, we weren't getting anywhere. So, uh we we just thought that the opportunity was there um to you know walk into a, a business that had been running for a long time and and put a mark on it and and actually start to start to try and pave our future a bit so i think if it didn't work if it didn't work i was probably going to the mines for a while really um if it, yeah, we we didn't really we I suppose we gave ourselves about eighteen months to work it out, um, and then it was it was just enjoyable for well for me personally to be back back on the land. Um, I'd sort of gone from Melbourne to Brisbane to Edinburgh to to Noosa in like down and down and down in population, um, and big cities were starting to get on my nerves, and um, I think the, the having we're just having the upbringing of being on the farm. It made it very comfortable coming back to it, especially with a young a young child and wanting to have another another um, another kid. Uh, it just it it made sense at the time, and I'm not sure that my wife 
for a long while really was um, very happy about it, but she could see the the outcome that was likely was was positive for us as a, a family group. Um, so I think she kind of grinned and bared it for a while um, before it grew grew a bit more on her, and, and then when she got stuck into her own, you know, her own part of the the tourism wedding stuff, um, she really sort of got stuck into it and and was busy and 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 motivated and and um, you know everyone was on the same page trying to do the job. So yep. yeah. And coming in with new ideas, how were they received from the parents? I think like it is coming in with the new generation coming back to the farm. Yeah. Uh, I was the same. I was living over in London and then I sort of had it in my head. It was a plan B, um, but it was all always going to be the plan A at some stage. But did you feel that for yourself? You relied on that? Um, you had a bit of a backing there just in case? Yeah, look, it was always there as a backup. Um I kind of, I think I was really, I think I was probably dissuaded out of it by my parents over the 2000s yeah. when they were, you know, doing things pretty tough. I think they were sort of going, oh, what would you want to do this for? You know, it's a terrible job. Um, so I think I kind of was actively dissuaded from it. Um, I think the timing was good because I think when I came back as a, a 35-year-old man with some responsibilities, it 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 meant that, I wasn't subservient to my father for a long time. And when I got back, I'd achieved certain things in my life uh, that, that mum and dad had, had seen me do and seen that I was capable of doing. Um, and they were they were pretty supportive of of change uh, and and that coming from me. They they were supportive. Pretty much the whole time, and I, but I reckon if I had gone back at twenty-two, uh, I think it probably would have frustrated the living daylights out of me because I wouldn't have proven myself, and and they wouldn't have that proof that I was capable, and and I would have had to sit under the old man as it was. You know, I, I think it's I think it was a, the timing was sensible um, to have the gap there, really. Great stuff, and then that led you in joining the family farm to starting up. Climo Estate and getting into the world of agritourism. Talk to me through that operation. And yeah, so we, got started. yeah, we we were we were having a, a glass of red on a hilltop, uh, having a barbecue actually on the site where the first eco hut that we built was uh, is. And um, my father said to me, just looking out over the country, so he said it'd be a good spot for a house. And I said, well, why don't why don't we build one? And we sort of looked at each other and thought, that's not a bad idea. So we sort of made a few inquiries and we had some workers' cottages that we were in the process of tidying up. Uh, we had two options, bulldoze them or, or fix them up and do something with them. And the rental on them at the time was only about 60 bucks a week or something, so it wasn't worth doing them up to have a, a tenant in there. Um, Airbnb had obviously been a pretty big thing in the city. Uh, so we, we, we sort of did that to begin with and and that worked pretty well um occupancy was pretty good uh challenging with linen and things like that uh we had we had some sort of operational challenges at the time uh you know we were washing sheets and when it got really busy so as a start it was just my wife 
uh, and then myself and mum giving a hand and and dad doing what he could and um, it got pretty challenging there for a while um, until we started staffing it properly and a, 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 yeah at the right level um, which we didn't achieve for a while but we uh, once we got it staffed uh, and we 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 put in the eco hut um, which was a, a pretty much another bottle of red with an architect I know saying hey I've got this good idea it'll be really cool you know we'll get you a lot of exposure um I had some sort of experience in marketing stuff through my wedding photography um and I thought look if we can get this in front of people this this life frame thing that you're going to design we can you know we can really really get it rolling um it did better than I expected. I, I, it took us all a bit by surprise. Um, we'd done our figures on two nights occupancy a week, you know, being Friday, Saturday. Yep. Um, pretty much within three months, it was about 90%. And then after five months, it's been pretty much 100% occupancy ever since. So um, then we, we we sat for a little bit and then tried to work out how we were going to afford to build another couple. Um we put in for a grant uh, with the New South Wales Tourism guys uh, with Destination New South Wales, and we were successful in that. So that meant that we could build one and get another one on the side, uh, essentially for nothing, um, with the proviso that uh, we were going to employ more people. That was the that was the basis for the for the grant. Um, and I think when we did it, we had two part time employees. Um, but once we got those next two huts, well, sorry, two casuals, in fact, uh, once we got those next two huts going, we ended up with sort of two full-time, 20 casuals, um, and, you know, it's just sort of gone on and on and on and on. Um, and then we, after we'd done that, we were on a bit of a roll, so we we bought an old convent in Gundagai uh, and turned it into a boutique hotel as well, which is called Flash Jacks. Um, and it kind of sits at the, the upper end of accommodation within a pretty large radius, you know, 100K radius of Gundagai um, at the time. Um, there's a couple more bobbed up since, uh, but it, uh, it was challenging in its own right. It started in the May of COVID, so we'd just done... Uh, we just spent about 1.6 million on it, uh, buying it and renovating it, and then we were told we couldn't have any customers because uh, no one was allowed to go anywhere. So it uh, luckily got finished, and then um, yeah, and then it's it's sort of picked up a bit. Uh, well, picked up a lot in the post-pandemic rush, uh, and then it's sort of settled back down to a pretty nice level of sort of between 60 and 70 percent, depending on the month. Um, and it's it's going well. Um, and then the whole time we've been running weddings as well um, in an old grain shed that was full of old bits of lupins and molasses and uh, broken down machinery. And we we cleared it out and built some toilets and uh, turned it into a, a sort of a hundred. 180 person uh, function venue um, down on the river flats, looking out over the the, the sort of the river flats of the Murrumbidgee, um, and we we sort of hold uh, the ceremonies in the gardens of the the old homestead there, 
Um, and we're we're up to now we're up to around about thirty to thirty four weddings a year held at, at that venue. So um, that in in turn feeds the accommodation. The accommodation feeds the uh, wedding business, and um, we're looking pretty soon to try and add a bit more to it um, with the same theory that they sort of link into each other and feed each other. So. Yeah, it's it's uh it's, it's been a terrific uh, addition to the place. You don't sound very busy at all across <laughs> across the whole lot, I suppose. How many rooms? Like how many beds do you have right across? Uh, well, currently, we've got the ability to have fifty four people um, staying. Um, soon, we're just putting in a DA for another three huts, um, and then we're trying to get to the point where we have a restaurant at the homestead and then add the other part of the homestead as a, a sort of a higher end boutique hotel with a sort of bit more of a that sort of grand colonial type feel to it which is which is kind of a, a thing that we we have a little bit with flash jacks but not on the farm so um yeah, the restaurant will be on the farm is that the, the idea? restaurant yeah the restaurant will be on the farm yeah yep yeah. so um and we we think that that'll probably a bit more of the accommodation so the, the, we'd expect the vacancy rates to to get lower um because of the restaurant we think that we'll be able to have a lot of groups that come and come and stay and um to go to the restaurant with with that with that intention so um yeah so look it's all it's all uh it's all a bit of a whirlwind and and the covid stopped us in our tracks um and it took a while to get the motivation to to get going again but um now we're going we're uh yeah we we feel like we're really rolling along so great stuff and for for yourselves like what do you think Primo estate what's the special sauce why is it going so well do you think you got into it at sort of perfect timing early days? Yeah, we were we were a bit lucky with the timing, I think. Um, I think we kind of got onto that tiny house movement pretty early on in the piece. Um uh we were lucky that we got the right architect as well. I think if if the buildings of the the the, the A-frame things have been the main driver for our following and and success, I reckon. Um that we we got lucky that we had the right person, uh, right person design them and and yeah, you know, and the right heads together to get to the point where we were happy with the design. Um, I think that it's a space that's a little bit underdeveloped in Australia. Um, if you if, you know if you go to England, um, you know you'd know places like the Cot the Cotswolds and and um, you know Lakes Districts where you can. You can go and stay on people's converted barns, and and Australia just doesn't really, uh, doesn't really have a very developed, especially New South Wales, Victoria probably more so than than us, but um, New South Wales is pretty underdeveloped, and and southern New South Wales is even more underdeveloped than the rest of New South Wales. So I, I think there's that opportunity to fill a bit of a hole uh, and and unlock a part of New South Wales less travelled. Um, people people want to go somewhere where their mates don't go every weekend. You know, it's, yeah, I think that's I think that off the beaten track 
kind of feel that we can give people. I mean, for instance, we have people that drive. Well, the best one was a lady got on the plane in Tokyo, flew to Sydney, hired, hired a car, drove down, stayed in the huts for four days, didn't see a person, drove back to Sydney, got on a plane, went back to Tokyo. Now, she had four days where she didn't see another human. You're living in Tokyo, you know, you're never going to get that. You know, you're living in Sydney, you're never going to get that. So I think that that disconnection from general public and also the ability to reconnect with whoever's there with you without any distractions, I think that's kind of, you know, there's no... Yeah, your mobile's not going off all the time. If you turn it off, obviously, but uh, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not checking your emails. There's no TVs. There's no radios there. You just, you're just there. You know, listening to the crackle of the fire and and the birds and the sheep. And I think that that's the appeal. That that sort of that the ability to to be away from people. I think that's that's the that's the draw card. You should get that that woman to come back over but film the whole sort of journey getting there yeah, that'd be terrific wouldn't it but like head noises yeah. the and then you get get to gunnagai and just sort of open listening to the birds singing that would be that'd be pretty cool but yeah. red tape um for the industry for agritourism to truly grow you reckon new south wales has a bit too much for it at the moment a bit too much red, red tape. tape. Yeah, definitely. Um, but that's, well, the building code of Australia is owned by a Swiss company. So if you've got people writing your building code for you and they're the other side of the world, you're always going to have trouble, uh, I reckon. Uh, you know, we've run into stuff like when we did the, the grain shed, they... They wanted a path made of concrete from the car park, which is about two hundred meters away, to the to the disabled accessible car park. And I said, "Well, we're going to let people drive right to the front door and get out if they've been in a wheelchair. Like we're not going to make them, you know, wheel two hundred meters to get there. We can we can get them right to the front door. Like and they can unload there." And they said, "Oh no, you need this." path and I said well what about if I'm doing a polo field in the future like do I need a concrete path to the polo field and they go yep yep you do so there's the, the stupidity of the planning regulations are based around cities not not country areas so I don't think they'll ever fix that I just think that'll probably get worse and worse and worse but you can get around it. We so in the end, we just uh, in the end, we just screwed the handicapped sign to the front door of the shed where there was a concrete landing, and they said, "Yep, no, that's fine." So it's fine for a car to park right at the entrance where people are coming in and out. That's fine, but you know, having them dropped off and parking around the corner is not. So anyway, it's uh, it's you just got to deal with it. Uh, these new huts are worse than the last time we. I put the same plans in for these three huts and, and it's taken me an extra year and $12,000 so far to get to the point where I can even submit the plan. So it's not easy, but um, but you just got to find the right people to give you a hand. That's uh, if, if you got them, it's fine. That's it. I've got plenty of questions just run, rushing through my head at the moment, but do you think 
Kaimo State in the Eco Hut would be the same if it wasn't on the hill? Or would uh, you have started? No, I think the hills are important. I think the, the views the views are important. Um yeah, I I, I think that's I mean, look, we, we you're on the river flats. Uh, the only place to look at them from they don't look that special when you're down there. So you got to get up and have a look. Um, Gundagai's pretty famous for its hills, so I think if you're putting it down the bottom, you'd be missing. Yeah, you know, we'd miss the opportunity that we had presenting itself to us. Um, yeah, you know, made made building it a bit difficult in the wind when you've up scaffolds and stuff, but. Uh, it kind of set the tone for the building, um, you know, the shelter from the elements. The the it, it kind of framed the hills framed the uh, the concept design as well. So I, I think you'd end up with a different structure if you were somewhere else. Um, but yeah, look, the 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 idea to stick it on the hill was 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 pretty much the the starting point that led to everything working. It's great when I'm like out mustering or something and. We- Go to the rise of our little anthill. I'm just sort of thinking, geez, it'd be cool if it was a bit like Kimo's, uh, Kimo's um, hill that you have as well. But um, pretty special. And if it was on grand designs, it would be that grandeur, um, as the presenter would say. And probably it'd be great to have you on grand designs or something. The English one, I think that's a cool one. Or have you done? Yeah, something- we we have made contact with them, but they're they're a hard nut to crack. So um, we uh, we're putting applications, but we haven't. Just can't get through to the right people. Um, you know, we get picked up by all sorts of TV programs, but um, we uh, we just haven't got through to those guys. Um, and I think possibly with those guys, uh, our building's a little bit too efficient, and there's not enough fights and and uh, budget blowouts and things like that. It's a it's a pretty well operate, you know, well oiled machine. So I, I think they they feed on the. Really complicated things that are not going to work very easily, I think. Absolutely. When you sat down, had that red wine with your old man, your folks anyway, what was your goal then? And what's changed to your goals today for future Kaimo? Yeah, it's a good question. So the original goal was to just, well, the original goal was probably to keep uh, my wife from leaving me uh, and and find her something (laughs) Uh, constructive to do that she could sink her teeth into. Um, but yeah, the goal has changed. So, so the farm, the farm's a good farm. It, it turns a good profit. Uh, but the tourism business went past it about a year and a half ago in the middle of COVID. Um, so the potential for it is much greater than the farm unless markets go crazy uh, and it doesn't take up much land. So the farm business can operate as it always has. Uh, and this can just sort of, because yeah, part of it was a, my vet said, how much are you making per hectare? You know, how much profit per hectare? And I thought that's a good way to look at it. And I thought, what can I do with that hectare and that hectare and that hectare? And, and so these little patches that we're just sort of fencing off of rocky outcrops that are pretty useless for feed quality or you know they're not they're not they're not they're not great paddocks. Um, yeah, they're, they're making more money if you include the whole paddock that they were put in than than you would off half the farm. So um, the ability to 
to add things like it on small parcels of land that sort of feed into each other. I think it's got a huge amount of potential to to keep going. Um, and I wonder where we would have been if we hadn't run into the COVID because we were, we were really rolling and everything was just rolling into the next thing, into the next thing, and we didn't have time to think about it. And it just if the one worked, we'd go into the next one. Um, so I feel like we're sort of three years behind, but uh, I, I think we've got the ability to create something that is iconic in New South Wales, in rural New South Wales. Um, I think we've got the ability to create something that's iconic in in agriculture um, as a as a as an archetype or a, a you know a case study in in adding value to patches of land. Um, we're looking at some share farming arrangements uh, on the agricultural side that along the same concept uh, of just using a small patch of land with someone else to you know, use a bit more intensively or efficiently or um, so I, I think, yeah, as far as that goes, it's, it's got a lot of potential um, where it's going to finish. I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the next, you know, little set of plans does if this restaurant goes well and um, the huts I'm not too worried about. I think they'll, they'll go pretty well, but um if if the if the restaurant goes well, it probably allows for a lot more accommodation. Um, it possibly allows for a microbrewery or a, a distillery or something in a in an old shed that we're not, you know, entirely using or one that we want to replace. Like the wool shed needs replacing at some stage because it's you know 140 years old, 130 years old. So whether it's got a more valuable use than two weeks of shearing a year. Um, yeah, there's 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 lots of ways it can go. It'll just it'll be interesting to see where it ends up. To be honest, I I don't know. You could do a learning experience, and the guest could have a crack at shearing a sheep, and then your sheep are all done. Perfect. Yeah, well, my shearing contractor I think's got it pegged in as a retirement option where he can shear two sheep a day and and have a bit of a yarn to everyone. And um, so there's certainly that's something that we really haven't pushed. We've sort of been more infrastructure based, but live like a shearer. Yeah, it's it's based on the human capital you got. So if you've got the people to do it, it's easy. But finding those people who want to do such a thing is in a in a a uh, place that has never really been that innovative in its nature. It's the Gunda guys, yeah, it's a nice place. It's slowly been going backwards for 80 years since the gold mine stopped. Um the Hume Highway bypass it, and that was not seen as an opportunity it was seen as a you know detriment and you know it's twelve thousand cars a day passing by but not going up your main street the ability to get them off the highway has sort of been forgotten rather than i think they got a bit lazy with them coming right through the middle um so there's still there's still plenty of scope for the place to improve and i and i think it i think it has in the last five or six years i think it's sort of started to turn the corner and and we're quite hopeful that other people might start up something to, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for our guests to go and do something during the day. You know, there's business opportunities, there's money there and they want to spend it. So hopefully we get a few other operators picking up, you know, uh, based off our 
you know, custom and, and success that, that maybe they should try their hand at something, you know, as you said, someone down the road with a shearing shed. I think it's there's a place for someone to do that. Um, it's just a matter of them doing it, really. Yeah, it's probably prime to leverage off that and actually win-win for everyone in your town and everything. Does Gunner guys have a um, an airport or can you fly from Sydney? No, it doesn't. Wagga's the closest airport. Um, we we have a little air, well, we have a decent sized airstrip that may come in handy in the future. Um, no, Gundagai had the opportunity for the RAF base and regional airport, which is in Wagga now, and didn't decide it was a little bit too much change for them, so they uh, they turned it down. Um, which which was quite an error at the time, I think. But um, I think the the road's still the major. The, the road is still the major thing. I don't, I don't think even if you had a little airport, you could get as many people in and out as you do down that road. You know, it's a 12,000 cars a day on average is a hell of a lot of people. You know, if you assume that every one of them's average of two people in a maybe with trucks and families sort of combined, you know, 24,000 people, there's, there's not many places in the in Australia where, you know, small country towns where 24,000 people are passing by in a day. Um I think the opportunity is still there. I don't think that's gone. Um, it'd be nice. And look, the main street's been done up, you know, at great expense uh, to the ratepayers not long ago, but it is an improvement. Uh, and now we've got a, a, a business in town. We feel like we are getting a little bit of return on that, uh, those those rate increases. Um, but uh, yeah, look, it's got it's it's got everything it needs now to to really flourish. I mean, I've been half joking, but quite serious that Gundagai's the new barrel. You know, you see you see the flash places coming down the highway. Uh, barrel got a bit dear, then Yas started to pick up, and then even Jugion picked up with a couple of businesses starting up. And, you know, it's it's only, you know, it's only natural that Gundagai's next down the line. So um, still pretty cheap to buy places there if you can find them. There's still lots of land, so there's... There's the ability for a council to, you know, open up some building regulations and allow some weekender stuff out of Sydney. I, I think it'd be a very sensible thing to do. Absolutely. And when you sort of had these goals, did you write them down in the end and sort of see where you, how far you come from, or was it just all? Yeah, yeah, we did. We've 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 got a business plan that that sort of has got some structure to where we are going. Um, I think red wine ideas will flow. Yeah, and and they it it gets updated every time we need to sort of apply for another grant or or sort of show someone that we're serious about what we're doing. We we use that and a and another marketing document quite regularly, um, which means that it gets updated. And I I even went through one just the other day that we'd done twenty eighteen and and. We've actually pretty much done everything that we put on it um, at that stage, and we've added we've added a similar amount of projects to the back end of it. So, so there is a plan. Um, it's uh, it's not set in stone, obviously, but it's 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 a it's a progression of things that if they work, the next ones along the line is you know this idea, and then if that works, there's another one, and um, yeah, no. So it's it's a yeah, I think you've got to put them down. I think if you don't put them down on a bit of paper, you you even if you forget about them and pick them up two years later, you, you, at least you can see 
whether you're close to hitting your targets. If you don't, why you haven't, you know, you can start to think about it. The ones you hit early, you can pat yourself on the back for. So I, I think it's, I think, yeah, those sorts of things are pretty important to have, to have a benchmark for yourself of, of what you've done and where you're going. Yeah, absolutely. And even especially for farmers, I reckon, for goal setting to write them down and see how far you've come. And if you didn't go that far, why didn't you readjust and adapt to what that is? Yep. I have one for the farming business as well. So it's it's something that I do use. Um I I think I mean, what they say reach for the reach for the stars and if you only get to the moon you're going okay. So I th- I think there's there's value in it either way. Yeah, one hundred percent. And another question on my lips is why Kaimo? How did you come up with that name? Oh, so the name, the name is is a historic name. Um, so between Gundagai and Wagga, there's uh, ninety kilometres straight line sort of thing, and there used to only be four properties between between Gundagai Township and and Wagga, and Kaimo was one of the original runs. Uh, we had a lot of trouble finding where the name did come from. Um, we've had several things. There's a, a a letter that was sent to the Queen at the time um, in nine well King at the time I think it was nineteen oh something oh two or three or four, and it had Kaimo on it as um, uh, basically referring to mountains or hills. Um, and then I had another one, we, and we couldn't find anything for years before the advent of the, the internet. We couldn't, no one knew. There was no, everyone just knew it as Kaimo. It always been that. Um, Sturt spoke about the Kaimo range when he toured in, you know, got there in 1829, I think. He, he referred to not being able to cross the Kaimo range. Now, whether or not that's where it came from with the mountains and the hills idea. Um, however, ChatGPT just the other day just told me it means brush-tailed possum. So I can't get to the source of that. I, I've only new to the the software, but um, it it keeps telling me that it means brush-tailed possum, and there's lots of them around the homestead. So it's quite conceivable that it means both, or or a combat, you know, or, or you know, there's lots of possums in the hills. Um, so it's it's a it's a I, I'm sure it's an Aboriginal term. Um, but it's just finding out where, what it actually is, is is proving quite difficult. So there was no discussion about what the name was going to be? Everyone was pretty certain on? No, it's it's just, yeah, no, it's always just been the property's been Kaimo. Uh, yeah, the family before us had it for 100 years. We've had it for 45. It was just, that's what it is. That's the valley. That's the, the area. That's, uh, yeah, it was easy. It was easy to come up with that. It was, uh, it was not difficult. Whether or not whether or not the restaurant needs to be called uh, something different is another story. I haven't even got to that stage yet. But um, I you know whether or not it's just the homestead at Kaimo Estate, you know, it's keep it simple. Um, yeah, we we're, we're sort of still working through what what, what we uh, what we call it next. Um, you know, we were talking to another bloke about a golf course the other day, and he just said, "Well, what would you call it?" And I said. I don't know, probably Kaimo, you know. <laughs> so I think the brand's strong enough. I think, um, you know, we might have to, I don't know, we might, we might have to do something different. But uh, once you've got a brand that you've got out there, it's it's hard to deviate from it. I mean, even 
Flash Jackson, Gundagai, we've brought back under the Kaimo umbrella um, now uh, just because it makes sense to leverage off the traffic we're getting on the, on online. Um, and and do we want to try and market two things at once or, or do we try and put them together and, and package them up? And I think the package works pretty well. Absolutely. For yourself, if you start it all over right now, Kaimo, would you do it again? Yeah, yeah, it's been the single best decision that we made to come down here. Um, where we've got a successful business, we've got good employees, um, you know, we've got well, we've got a staff now of uh 30, right. 32 or three people, uh, plus, plus the farm workers. Um, so look, we're, we're impacting. In the tourism sphere, um, where we're, we've been sort of, uh, you know, it's been recognised by the tourism bodies that we're, we're doing a good job with it. Um, we've, we've been able to sort of help other people pick up, you know, uh, and get some businesses going and mentor some young kids. And uh, I, th- I think the, if, yeah, well, it just feels like there's, there's a bit of a, a well, nearly even a legacy sort of situation to it that we're leaving something for the generations, you know, are going to benefit from one way or the other, you know, whether it stays in the family or whether it's sold at some late future point. Um, The work that we're doing is adding a huge amount of value to the land that that we have. So I I think it's, uh, yeah, I I would do it again. It's, It's been a terrific idea. Well, it sounds like it's all sort of flowing well for you, even though we went through COVID and sort of took you back those few years, but I'm sure you'll get on the right track and you've got plenty of ideas going on the golf course. I thought just before in Hawaii or something, they got that million dollar golf hole. You should just build one. So it gets all the blokes and the women to come out and just see if they can get a hole in one in this thing. I don't know. Maybe the local council puts up some money in tint. Yeah, they don't have any money. They're broke. So, uh, but no, look, I like that idea. I, I like the idea as well of having a, like a skins tournament because I, I don't mind a punt. And uh, and if you could get some broken down old superstar golfers like you know John Daly and Tiger Woods limping around and uh, you know playing for some cash, or it's just yeah, I just like it. I think it's got some marketing value. It's it's fun. Uh, it's not it's not boring. Um, yeah, no, there's 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 certainly lots of uh, lots of things you can do. Instead of the live tour, the golf tour, you could call it the gym tour. Yeah, there you go. I like it. <laughs> and Dave, what would be your number one piece of farms advice you'd like to pass on for anyone looking to get into agritourism? They may be thinking it's a little bit too late. Um, I'm probably one of them as well, just to open up our avenues like you did back in the day. What would yeah. that be? How to get started? Oh, look, it's it's not too late. We didn't start until I was 35. Um, you know, we, we, we'd gone off and done other careers. So as far as, you know, age, it's not a worry. Um, I don't think, well, I think the more of these sort of things there are, the more likely people are to get out of town. So I don't think that there's a saturation point at all, really. Um, I think that if they're done correctly, they, they draw people um which then in turn draws more people and draws more business. And I think the, yeah, look, I think long-term it's, it's a great way for, 
farms to drought-proof themselves in one one way. Um, and then the other thing is that we've we've never been as farmers very good at doing extra bits on the side. We've always been just slugging our guts out and and you know doing things that are, are not you know they're 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 great for the farm, but there's not a lot of thanks and there's not a lot of praise associated with them. So when you when you do do something that that people get to enjoy, they they let you know that they've had a good time and and it 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 picks up your spirits that that you know these people like this place as much as you do. You know you 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 love uh, the patch of dirt you've got and and you know how good it is. Uh, so when other people get to see that and and all you got to do is think about when you have guests come and stay from the city what they think when they stay at your house. They all have a terrific time. They love getting out on the motorbikes and the kids love rolling around in the mud and poking sticks in, you know, ants' nests. And and if you just think about that, just based on your, you know, your small circle of friends and family and how much they enjoy the place, well, there's no reason to think that other people who are who haven't got access to such a place would wouldn't like it. You know, they they don't have access to these sort of places, and that's 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 the beauty is that you're providing them with a spot that they can see it. You know, they can experience it. So, I think um, I think there's plenty of scope for other people to to get involved in it. Absolutely, well said as well. What's a piece of farms advice that someone's um, given you over the years? Uh well, I think uh, get help before you need it. Um, that was terrific advice. Um, and the other bit I liked uh, from the same person in the same conversation uh, was you need to spend some time on your business, not just in your business. So putting plans together, um, you know, doing some of the things that are more about where you're headed and 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 assessing where you've been um not not just working the whole time and and not looking at those things because those are the things that uh that that time you spend on on direction and and you know sort of assessing elements that you're doing or or things that you're not doing well they're the things that really improve any business so um, and those guys were in the wedding business, and that and that that's that just applies to any business I can think of. So they're my two favourite bits of advice. Unreal pieces of advice as well. So if any farmers listening are looking for a bit of a getaway, how can we book at Kaima Estate one of the fifty-four beds that you have? Yeah, cool. So uh, so the website's kaimoestate.com, uh, K-I-M-O estate.com. Uh, Instagram's probably one of our uh, our big ones where people can get to see just about everything that we do there, including farm work and, and you know, uh, nice-looking people in hot tubs and, and flash buildings and, and up, all sorts of stuff. Um no, not now. No, I've only been in there twice, actually, in three years. They're, they're, there's no vacancies, so generally uh, everyone's someone, someone's in there all the time. But um, they, they, that's probably the best way. Uh, I'm on there all the time. So that's uh, Como Estate is the handle there. Uh, we're also on Facebook, which you can search as well. Yeah. And and technically TikTok and technically YouTube as well. So we've kind of got them all covered. 
Snapchat, Twitter, the list goes on. No Snapchat for me. I'm too old. We'll put the links in the show notes. So anyone that's looking or looking for a break, I think it's pretty good for farmers to go out, maybe even have a sticky beak. Yeah, if, if anyone's interested, I'm always open to have a chat about potential projects as well. I'm, I'm not, I'm, I've helped a lot of people around the country and and a few internationally. Uh, so uh, I'm happy to have a chat if people have got ideas as well. You just need to reach out. Um, I'm, I'm pretty much a very open book. So yep, I'll have to be number one on that list, surely. Cool. No, anytime, mate. Cheers, Dave. Thanks for coming on Farmswise Podcast. Thank you. Enjoy it. Advice episode does not stop here. Come and join the conversation on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, and even join our Facebook group. Go to farmsadvice.com.au for more on this episode and spread the hashtag farmsadvice to your mates. If you can leave a review on Apple or Spotify, that will let other farmers find us too. But until then, see you next Tuesday. Bye.